What is the digital economy? What does digital mean? Strategic How far can the digital economy go? Welcome back to the Digital Week. I'm Oliver Bolton, design ethicist at the Chair in Digital Economy, and today we are talking to Professor Rowena Barrett, head of the School of Management at QUT Business School. Rowena joins myself and Professor Marek Kowalkowicz, Chair in Digital Economy, for a conversation about the growing disparity between profits and wages that is due to the increasing amount of automation we are seeing within the economy. Rowena, Marek, and Dr. Shahid MD, research fellow at the Chair in Digital Economy, recently published an article about this topic, and we highlight some of the key points made in the article during our discussion, including evidence of increases in productivity and economic growth, some linguistic distinctions, as well as the necessity for new language in this area, and finally, what future generations will need to know to be equipped for tomorrow's economy. It is quite clear that there are many complicated issues facing the economy when it comes to the future of automation, and most of them remain largely unsolved. More discussions on this topic are certainly required, and hopefully more attention will be granted to what will be one of the most important issues of the 21st century. And now here is the Digital Week. All right, we are here with Professor Rowena Barrett, Head of School of Management at QUT Business School, and Professor Marek Wolkowitz, Chair in Digital Economy. It's great to have you both here on the podcast. Hi, Ollie. Good to see you. So we're here to talk a bit about a recent article that was published in The Conversation entitled, The Benefits of Job Automation Are Not Likely to Be Shared Equally. Rowena, do you want to give us a brief overview of the topic that the article talks about? Yep. So what we were trying to explore in the article was really how um, there's increasingly a divergence between productivity and wages. So what we're arguing is that as jobs are increasingly automated, and we see productivity um, moving upwards, what we see stagnating are wages. So what's happening in that gap between the productivity line and the wage line? True. Marek, does that uh, say on to you? Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, that, that, that's an interesting paradox, uh, right? So uh, we've been waiting for productivity to start growing through digital technologies and so on. And that's been you know, a, a paradox that we've seen in the 20th century. In the 21st century, we're finally seeing the growth of productivity. And you know, there's numerous uh, economic studies that, uh, that show that. Uh, but what we're seeing is that perhaps we were you know, chasing the wrong goal. Right, because it seems like while productivity is growing, not everyone is benefiting from it. Mm, well, this is definitely a, uh, a big concern at the moment. And uh, you mentioned in the article that about 40% of all jobs are predicted to disappear due to automation in Australia. What sort of time frame are we looking at for that? So that prediction is based around the next 10 years. And, and essentially the argument is, is that as machines are increasingly able to do things, those jobs that are easily codified, those jobs mm. that are simple and repetitive, will be the ones that we start to see disappear in the economy. This is not that unusual. Technology has been changing jobs since you know, the, the start of the Industrial Revolution or through the Industrial Revolution. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that they will just disappear. It means other jobs will also emerge. We're just not so clear exactly what those other jobs look like. 
True. And in terms of the jobs, is this jobs as in workers or as in elements of roles or roles altogether that will be disappearing? It can be elements of all of it. It really comes down to essentially what it is that the job entails, like I say. So those things that are easily um, automated, those simple repetitive tasks will disappear. They have, by and large, in the car industry. Um, A lot of back office jobs have disappeared because they can be um, replicated by machines. But the person might have had more than just those elements in their role. True. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people listening will hear the idea that 40% of these jobs will disappear in the next 10 years and might be more than a little worried. Marek, is there any reason to be optimistic about the future here? Think about jobs uh, a bit like you would think about uh, evolution, right? So um, there will be jobs that uh, there are, or tasks actually, that, that are disappearing, right? You know, if, if an organ is not needed, it will disappear, right? But at the same time, we're, we're exploring and there's, there's, there's completely new areas that, uh, that are emerging and, uh, and some of them might turn into totally viable new jobs. And we're already we're already seeing though. Sometimes, uh, you know, I, I I joke, but only just a bit that uh, you know, my son talks about uh, fashion designers for robots, right? Uh, it's an example of a job that that we'll most likely have. We're already seeing a, a need for those who own robots. We're talking about humanoid type of robots to personalize them, uh, and so you know, the, the, there's going to be a market for it, just like there is a market for uh, co- covers and skins for mobile phones. You know, a, a job of a mobile phone skin designer that did not exist in 1984, I guess. True. What's the name of that robot that I see roaming, roaming the halls of QUT? We have quite a few uh, robots called Peppa. They, uh, they come from a, a business called, or a Japanese company called SoftBank. And we use them quite a lot to, uh, to explore the impact that, uh, that robots will have on humans uh, and the way they live their lives. True. Well, I certainly look forward to seeing Pepper's first stroll down the, uh, the catwalk. <laughs> <laughs> so this increasing trend of profits increasing, but wages remaining stagnant uh, is advancing. Um, with this trend, where exactly are the profits going? Uh, well, Ollie, we know that there's um, a change in the ratio between those at the top of organisations and those, um, I don't want to say near the bottom, but the average worker. So the ratio between uh, CEOs' pay to workers' average pay in large US corporations has changed over the last 50 years from a ratio of 20 to 1 to now something more like 271 to 1. Wow. So we see that widening divergence between those who have and those who don't have. Those seem like pretty extreme differences. Marek, what is causing this? Sounds like CEOs are really good at explaining how their actions uh, increase profits of uh, their businesses, whereas average workers are simply not as good. And when it comes to negotiations of of their salaries, uh, CEOs are simply in a better position. They have more data, they have more information, they can 
come to a table prepared. Um, whereas as an average worker, all you can say is, you know, I've been working as hard as I have every day, day in, day out. The company gets better, but it's hard for me to explain why. That sounds a lot like what I've heard from the New York Times journalist Brett Stevens in a recent speech he gave to the Lowy Institute, and he discussed the differences between what he called the words economy and the things economy. Uh, Rowena, do you see that sort of dichotomy existing? Yeah, well, we know that the jobs that will be replaced are those that are easily codified, where it's pretty clear that I put a widget on a gadget... Um, and something else can do that. A robotic arm can mm -hmm. do that. But where your job requires creativity, imagination, you know, we can add playfulness to it, problem solving, then there's not a lot of um, robotics or algorithms who are yet able to do that, and they're a long way off doing it. Yeah, I suppose that the uh, the lowering cost of these technologies has made them much more ideal for companies to start thinking about. Mark, do you see the uh, the trend of technologies improving at a sort of a accelerated rate having a, a large influence here? Oh yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, look, and, and like Rowena said, that the trend has started um, long time ago in the in the industrial revolution, definitely. Uh, but, but what we're seeing right now is uh, um, even more areas where uh, machines, so whether it's robots or algorithms, are improving productivity. And uh, you know, an economist would say that we're talking about labor productivity here. The labor productivity really mostly applies to, to humans and, you know, and, the, and the outputs of, of their work. Now we're, we're starting to talk a lot about uh, effectively those machines replacing uh, 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 humans in various tasks or in some cases which which is most often the case and probably the most interesting case humans and machines working uh, working together now and this argument again is uh, you know, hundreds of years old uh, almost uh, uh, where you would say that you know a machine does not need a salary so effectively if an organization um, improves productivity by by using more or machines. That's uh, that's a different equation or a, you know a, a different approach than uh, by throwing more humans at a task, and that really changes the nature of the of the conversations between humans and organizations. Absolutely, um, and you just mentioned the difference between labor and, and, and machine productivity. Is there some more useful language that can be used in this space? To to make a difference or to highlight differences between the productivity gains that can be made with human labor and machine labor? That's the uh, you know the efficiency that we've been we've been talking about, and and, and often we would say that you know uh, when a human directly uh, causes an output of a particular number of widgets, right, products or services that an organization produces. Uh, we could call it direct productivity, right? Whereas, uh, mm. whereas if we have a human enhanced or um, working together with a machine, uh, we would likely be talking about indirect productivity because suddenly it does the productivity does not only depend on how many hours you you know sit at a desk or stand next to a production line or how much energy you put into it into into your work. It also depends on how much the machine can amplify 
your work and that's the and that's the the indirect productivity true i think that's a good distinction to make and you mentioned before that obviously uh the old saying that machines don't need to make a salary um given the the classic old example of henry ford wanting to pay his employees enough so they could afford to buy one of his cars what is the trend with automation going to be in terms of consumers being able to make enough money to purchase products Rowena, Merrick? <laughs> oh look uh, people need to to make money to buy products uh, to help organizations produce them to uh, to help them pay uh, and so so you know there's there's a cycle here uh, and you know it's very interesting in the digital economy space and uh, in the digital space in general because on one hand you have the automation you have the uh, the robots the machines the, the algorithms that uh, that take uh, particular tasks that humans perform and you know and, and perform them by themselves so that you know the machines the algorithms and so on and so technically you don't have to pay uh, a, a human anymore uh, but that breaks the cycle that I just talked about, right? And uh, uh, often when I hear discussions about universal basic income and, uh, and those who uh, talk about it and, and promote it are often the organizations that mm -hmm. actually would highly benefit from making sure that they have customers, right? So that's mm -hmm. one of the, you know, that's the rhetoric here. I want to make sure that I have customers, but I don't want to pay my employees. Mm -hmm. So maybe someone else could give them money, and that's the universal basic income. I think I've heard Elon Musk support that idea as well. Well, I mean, you know, they need to sell his cars to, uh, you know, to people. So there you yes. go. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess the last point we just want to touch on is uh, something that you mentioned briefly before, which is sort of looking towards the jobs of the future. Um, if there's any parents who are listening uh, to the podcast and are wondering what exactly should my children be learning to be equipped for this this new economy, what would you, what advice would you give them? Well, you don't want a job that you can be automated out of. So you want a job which is which has an array of activities in it that requires a lot of interpersonal um, communication that might be around interpretation a job mm. that has um, creativity elements in it mm. so it sounds a bit like requiring some emotional intelligence some social interpersonal skills yeah problem solving mm. you know why is it working like it's working so you know while um, there may be increased automation or and it could be in robots or algorithms people still need to be able to interpret what these things are doing. They still need to be able to plan and organise the activities um, that exist there. So it could be in interpreting robot language. Who knows? That, that might be part of a role. <laughs> <laughs> Marek, what do you see as the future of work here? So... Um... To start with, we are seeing that challenge of organizations being more productive, but the salaries of individuals not growing, right? And we believe that one of the reasons because of that is that those individuals find it hard to argue that uh, the growth of the productivity of the organization is triggered uh, by their work, right? So the translation of an action of an individual to the outcome of an organization is, is basically a, a challenge. So based on this assumption, my suggested job of the future is an, is the individual impact analyst or individual value analyst. So someone who works with individuals, 
employees and so on, just like we have those experts who help us write our CVs and so on and be successful in the job market, you could imagine an individual impact analyst who works with you and helps you translate or helps you figure out how much impact on the organization's success you have as an individual. It'll be a flip uh, job to this one as well because, I mean, obviously, there's a, we're talking about a negotiation with your employer, so I'm pretty sure the, the human resource departments of employers of the future will want to make sure they can also calculate the impact of an individual employee on the organizational outputs. Mm, well, hopefully it won't be uh, too soon before everyone here is automated out of their jobs. But in the meantime, it was wonderful to have you both on. Rowena, thank you for being here. Thank you, Ollie. Marek, pleasure to have you on as always. Thanks so much. That's it for this week on the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chair Digiconomy and visit our website at chairdigitaleconomy.com.au. I'm Oliver Bolton. See you next time.